Hello, and welcome to the NFP Benefits Compliance Podcast. My name is Jill Brooking, and I'm here with my colleague, Suzanne Spradley, and we are members of the Benefits Compliance team at NFP, and we're going to discuss an issue we are all hearing about in the news. Today, we're going to discuss the nonprofit health venture established by Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and J.P. Morgan Chase, and we will refer to them as ABJ. Okay, Suzanne, start us off with a background of ABJ. Well, there really has been a lot of news about this, but Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and J.P. Morgan Chase announced in January of this year that they were going to partner together to create this separate company. It's going to be a nonprofit that was aimed at lowering healthcare costs for their employees. So they each run a self-insured healthcare plan, and together they cover about a million employees, or they have about a million employees um, who could be covered by uh, their plans along with their families. And so the desire is that they'll create some innovations. They'll look at ways to lower costs. And whatever they create that they can use for their own employees will be something that could be transferable to other companies. So hopefully its effects could be felt more broadly throughout the U.S. for other employers. Um, so when you look at it, the size of the companies is really a small slice of the employer-sponsored coverage that's out there today. But because of Amazon's strength, their data, their technology, and their ability to disrupt businesses, people are really watching this venture closely to see what types of innovative strategies that they implement. If you think about it, there's, this isn't the first time that employers have tried to tackle these healthcare costs. A couple of years ago, you had several companies coming together to join what was called a Health Transformation Alliance. And these were major companies. They're IBM, Shell, Verizon. American Express, um, and so they they also are looking at ways to innovate. You also have some other coalitions of employers that have come together to uh, purchase prescription drugs in an effort to leverage their group size to bring better prices. So what is different about these three employers than these other alliances that are out there? Um, well, first of all, let me just level set so everyone's aware of the companies. I don't think Amazon needs any type of introduction. But Berkshire Hathaway is the Omaha-based conglomerate that employs about 367,000 employees. Um, it's run by Warren Buffett. He has a number of different companies within the conglomerate, including insurance, which is interesting, candy manufacturing, electric utilities, um, fractional jet ownership, uh, ice cream, furniture. So many different types of, of companies that are within their conglomerate. And then you have J.P. Morgan Chase, which is one of the largest banks. It has investments, obviously, that would be affected by the ability to lower health care costs. So there's an interest there. And its CEO is Jamie Diamond. So lots of big names, big companies. What do we know about this venture so far? Well, we really, uh, when they made the announcement, they really put out very limited information. So we have few details on the venture right now. We were able to get a little bit more detail from a letter that was sent to shareholders that was written by Jamie Dimon, again, who's the CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase. And in that, he did try to tamper expectations that things were going to happen very quickly. He said, you know, nothing is going to materialize anytime soon. Um, and he he did spell out that the consortium would tackle issues like making payment incentives line up with health outcomes instead of how it currently is to just pay for a service, uh, reducing waste and fraud, examining the use of high-cost drugs, whether they're overused or underused, um, increasing employees' access to their data, their personal health care data, 
boosting corporate wellness programs. And they even talked about uh, looking at end of life care, which um, Mr. Diamond noted was really could involve unnecessary and burdensome medical services that some patients didn't even really want. So um, he was pointing to better programs for addressing chronic conditions like cancer and stroke and heart disease. Um, in particular, when they talked about uh, reducing weight and waste and fraud, they looked at three specific areas, and that's going to be administrative cost, high cost generally for healthcare services, um, and we'll talk about that in a bit, and then just improper use of healthcare uh, generally. So uh, in particular, he was looking at the misuse, again, of specialty meds and pharmaceuticals. So this, this is where I think we're going to see some movement from them. And it's really interesting given their recent acquisition, or I should say Amazon's re recent acquisition of PillPack. Yeah. So what does that mean with the recent acquisition of PillPack? What could that mean for this venture? Well, uh, I think a lot of people are really wanting to see what will come from that. But in June, Amazon announced that it had purchased PillPack. And for those of you who aren't familiar with PillPack, it's an online mail order pharmacy. It's really a niche play. It only has about 50,000 customers right now. But importantly for, for Amazon, it had pharmacy licenses throughout the U.S. Um, and so I think that's what was really valuable to them along with their infrastructure. But they were only founded back in 2013. It was by a pharmacist and a computer scientist, and they distribute pills and packages that are designed for consumers that have multiple conditions, multiple prescriptions. And so they sort the prescriptions by dose so that they will pick up like a daily package that's already pre-sorted with their multiple medications. And they targeted this group of consumers, and this is what's really interesting to me, which I wasn't aware of, but more than 40 million Americans take more than five prescriptions per day. So uh, that's just a statistic I just really wasn't aware of. But it does show that, that there is a need for that. Um, they are not going to serve those with immediate prescription drug or specialty needs so that there's still a place for the retail pharmacy. We did see a dip in um, some of the stock of some of the key players in that market, like CVS initially. But if you look at it long term, PillPack works right now with PBMs like Express Scripts and CVS, uh, Caremark. And so... Um, it is a network provider for most PBMs and healthcare plans, but it's going to be dependent on those. So I don't think they'll replace those anytime soon. Um, but again, importantly for Amazon, the acquisition provided them with pharmacy licenses. So this is, this is uh, not going to touch the specialty pharmacy market, which is where they said part of their play was going to be for the venture. Um, but we'll, we'll see what Amazon does with it. I think it'll be a really interesting acquisition. We'll see if they, what Amazon does to, uh, build that out. We can and see that Amazon could probably even improve shipping times even more. So you may even be able to order refills on Alexa. Um, it'll be interesting to watch. That is really interesting to see how the technology could play into that. Um, okay. So aside from pharmacy, what are the other target areas for ABJ? Well, one thing that was mentioned, of course, was to target high prices. And so many have assumed, um, and that's really through looking at some of the uh, past discussions, for example, of their CEO, who we'll mention in a moment, and others, that they will focus on these high-performance networks. You could also think of them as narrow networks, but they'll funnel more volume to some identified high-quality, high-value providers. Um, we, we talked about narrow networks when the exchanges rolled out. It is when there are fewer in-network hospitals, for example, so that if a 
participant does decide to go to one of their own choice that's out of network, they will end up paying more for the healthcare expenses. So it really, um, it really does end up putting more of the consumerism onto the shoulders of the employee. There is a trade-off, and often it's employee morale because employees often want to go to whoever, whatever provider they want to go to. So if you look at it, depending on the industry, uh, if the competition for employees is high, then employers may not implement a similar kind of strategy. Because again, some employees uh, would prefer to go to whatever provider they want to go to. But it may be in the manner in which the message is delivered. I can imagine that um, when providers accept a lower cost in these in these narrow networks, it's also going to affect premiums. So for those employees who are sensitive to premium cost, they may be willing to accept the narrow networks. Uh, it can certainly, as I mentioned, bring the consumers back into the game because if they do want to utilize a different provider, they would likely be incentivized to look at the cost of what the healthcare will be, uh, which brings us to a whole other issue that people anticipate would be something that this venture will focus on, and that's price transparency. So we're all going to watch to see if their new CEO gets involved in that discussion, uh, which many have said requires some additional legislation in order to force some of these hospitals and other providers to provide transparency into what the costs of different uh, services are. So again, we discussed narrow networks when the state exchanges were rolled out, um, usually in not such a positive manner, but one of the models that's often looked to is Kaiser Permanente. That's something that they utilize and it's thought to be widely successful. So we anticipate that'll be part of the discussion with this venture. Tell us more about this new CEO and what his background might tell us about the venture. Well, in July, and this was really, you know, kind of led up to some breaking news because we knew a few weeks before they're going to announce it. We knew they were looking for who the CEO would be to run this nonprofit, and they chose Dr. Atul Gawande. Uh, you may have heard his name through his writings for The New Yorker. He said he is an author. He's still a surgeon and remains a surgeon at the Boston-based Brigham and Young's Brigham, Brigham and Women's Hospital. Uh, he's also a professor at Harvard in both their public health school and their medical school. So he does lack operational experience, which surprised many people by this pick. Um, but if you look back, he was has been on the radar of Berkshire Hathaway for a while. So back in 2009, um, it was widely reported that the vice chairman of Berkshire Hathaway, Charlie Munger, sent him, sent Dr. Guande a $20,000 check for an article that he'd written in The New Yorker that looked at the healthcare differences between two Texas neighborhoods because of its significant social impact. And that article put his name on the map. It certainly got the attention of uh, Mr. Munger and probably what started uh, some of this ball rolling. But he's the son of two Indian surgeons. He grew up in Athens, Ohio. So he is, you know, has been uh, in the U.S. for all of this time. He went on and to complete an undergraduate degree at Stanford. He then got a master's in philosophy at Oxford, an MD from Harvard Medical School, and an MPH from Harvard School of Public Health. So he's got the academic background. Um, so his biggest contribution is probably going to be top-level strategy rather than actually building out something operationally. He's been very successful as, as an author um, in articulating these complicated healthcare stories in a way that, that lay people and professionals have found compelling. And so that's part of his, his attractiveness is being able to really uh, craft a narrative about whatever the organization is doing is convincing leaders of the companies and broader people in the, you know, in the public 
um, that what he's doing is worthwhile. So in addition, if you look back, but there, you know, because he has been somewhat prolific in what he's written about and spoken about, we have some indications of what's important to him. And you can look back and see that he is a big believer in primary care. Um, he thinks that high, de- high deductible health player health care plans are detrimental to that care because he believes that plan participants avoid using primary care because of the deductibles. And so we will likely see in terms of benefits um, and how their employees can access care, I, you know, that's, they, those companies will probably go away from a high deductible health care plan. Um, in an effort to make care more accessible, he seems to focus on telehealth, on-site clinics, and so there's a lot of speculation that Whole Foods, which is was acquired by Amazon in 2017, they may provide some type of brick and mortar for on-site services um, in an effort to provide and to improve the types of services that are provided. We are we will expect that this venture will promote kind of a more holistic approach to care, as Jamie Dimon mentioned, um, of importance of wellness in in his letter to shareholders. But it'll be very interesting to watch what Dr. Gwande uh, comes up with. He's still a surprise choice. Again, it kind of signals that he will be looking at how healthcare is delivered uh, rather than at the benefit infrastructure itself. But whatever they do, we expect it to take there to be kind of a longer time frame for any real changes from this venture. But everyone hopes that they will be innovative in their approach and will do things that can impact all employers throughout the U.S. This has been great. Thank you for sharing this. I think the headline grabbed everyone's interest and then it was just like, okay, now what? So this is great to see a little bit of background and where it could be and it'll be interesting to watch. Terrific. Well, that does it. As we like to say, that's a wrap. That's a wrap.